This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm your host, Jackie Pack. So I thought that the second half of 2021, which we are headed right into, was going to be less busy than the first half. And if you remember, I decided at the beginning of 2021 to slow down how often I was releasing podcasts because I knew that I had several big things coming up on my calendar and things to do at the, you know, the first half of 2021. And I've accomplished those things and those things are underway and going well. And I thought that, you know, the second half of 2021 would be less busy and I could pick back up and release weekly podcasts. And I meant to do that this week. This podcast episode I meant to release last week, but it hasn't slowed down yet. And I don't know if it's going to slow down. Sometimes I think, what was I thinking? It was going to slow down. I hope to be able to get back to a weekly time spot where I'm releasing podcasts. Also, I don't know if that's going to happen. So I'd like to be able to say that starting with this episode, I'm going to be releasing them weekly. But I don't know that I can say that. I will for sure be releasing them every other week, barring technical difficulties. We had that a couple, I think it was with the last episode actually. So we are on the eighth principle. We are doing a series on the 12 principles by Dr. Patrick Carnes, and we are on principle number eight, which is commitment. Now in his book, A Gentle Path Through the 12 Principles, Dr. Carnes wrote, creating a sustainable recovery involves much more than merely creating sobriety. It's a qualitatively different effort. It's the difference between 2D and 3D, between liking and loving, between involvement and commitment. He continues, commitment is absolutely critical to sustaining recovery. Our addiction rewired our brain to sabotage us to constantly pull us back into our illness. In order to maintain our recovery, we need to continually re-engineer our brain, not once or until we reach a certain goal or threshold, but on an ongoing basis, day by day by day. Although commitment is partly about attitude, it is most about what we do, how we show up, what responsibilities we shoulder, what decisions we make, and what actions we take to sustain those decisions. Recovery is a team effort that requires multiple commitments. Our determination to build a new life, the mindfulness of our inner observer, the help of trustworthy people, and the guidance of a higher power. He continues, in step eight, we mentally redesigned our relationships with all the people we had harmed. Step eight reads, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. He says, as we live principle eight, we mentally redesign our relationship with recovery. We no longer see recovery as something we practice, but it starts to become part of who we are. And we see that the principles of recovery are also the principles of living, and we commit ourselves fully to them. We addicts, he says, already have deep and intimate experience with commitment. When we were caught in our addiction, our commitment to it was nearly absolute. 
we got very skilled at obtaining whatever substance or experience we were addicted to. We committed great time and energy to planning and organizing these efforts, as well as to covering up our addiction. Our commitment to recovery needs to be equally thoroughgoing. This means bringing to resolution everything unexamined, undisclosed, unaddressed, or unfinished in our life. It also means asking ourselves moment after moment, what is the next right thing I need to do? He says, as we live the principles, our commitment to recovery broadens and deepens into a commitment to the world. And don't we all need people who are willing to practice the principles of living in order to make a commitment to the world? Now, you've heard me talk before about a project. I don't know that it's a project. It's kind of ongoing, although COVID kind of brought some changes to the plan that we had made. But you've heard me talk about a program or a project that I started one layer deeper. And I started that with Amy Smith. At the time that I met Amy, she was in recovery herself. She had a very well-rounded, I thought it was a very helpful recovery podcast, Worth Recovery, um, some programs, offering groups, that type of stuff. And I've done some workshops with Amy and we've co-led several intensives or workshops, different things like that, that we're doing under this company that we started One Layer Deeper which again goes one layer deeper into these principles of living, into the principles of recovery. So her and I have been working on a book. Um, I don't know that I've talked very much about that. We probably spent most of last year working on the book. And you know, as I've talked to other therapists and other people that I know who have written books, it really is a labor of love. And we are nowhere near being done with the book, but we have compiled a pretty good outline of things that we want to cover in our book. And that will be released under the One Layer Deeper brand as well. And in that book, we're going to be dealing with intimacy disorder. That's kind of what we want to be talking about and how that shows up for people, how that shows up in our cultures, how that shows up in our country. And then we want to end the book with talking about building relational competencies. Now, these relational competencies are going to be helpful in, you know, your primary relationship or your significant relationship with a spouse or partner, but also will be helpful just relationships in general. We can't really get through life without being in relationships, whether that's with coworkers or neighbors or kids or siblings or whatever it, it looks like, we have relationships in our life. And so Amy and I have been working on some activities, uh, not activities, but maybe exercises that we want to include in this book that we've been working on. And so one of these we wanted to talk about was this, uh, one of the relational competencies is commitment. I think foundational to all relationships, no matter the type of relationship, there's a commitment that's at the foundation. Dr. Carnes in his book, uh, Recovery Zone, Volume 1, says, behind every commitment is a decision. This is where many of us get stuck. We cannot resolve things because we've not accepted that we have to decide. Anytime you decide something, you give up something. Decisions become paralyzing because of our unwillingness to sustain the grief. The word decision, like the word incision, 
come from the Latin to cut. Basically, to decide is to cut away something. And to commit is to cut away something. So Amy and I came up with this worksheet where we're looking at, like I said, this relational competency of commitment. And the first part that we want to have people working on and looking at is a commitment to self. So we came up with three of our own categories to work on under a commitment to self. The first is self-improvement and growth. Now, I think if we have a commitment to self in terms of working on our relational competencies, then we have to have this commitment that we will constantly be working on self-improvement, that we'll be pushing ourselves in areas where we need to grow, whether that's a thing that we're welcoming the growth or that's coming through some pain and some challenges, but that we have this ongoing commitment to self-improvement and growth. Sometimes when I'm working with clients, they'll think about you know what they're working on in therapy is time limited, right? Sometimes they're like, I want to do all of these things. I've got to do all, I've got to make these changes. I've got to make this happen. I've got to make this change. And I want this wrapped in six months, right? And that's not going to happen. Nor is that a commitment to self-improvement and growth, right? There is not a time limited expiration date that comes on working on ourself. The second area where we can work on this commitment to self is in our personal boundaries. Now, oftentimes when I'm working with people on personal boundaries, they will report that these boundaries that they maybe feel, that they know that they need to put them in place, but their initial response to boundaries is that it's, it feels aggressive. And I think often when you have not lived with your own personal boundaries and all of a sudden you start putting your personal boundaries into practice, it will feel like you are being aggressive. It will feel like you are being mean. And the people on the other end of the boundary also may give you that feedback. However, with our personal boundaries that we've practiced and that we've put in place, we have that filter where we can accept feedback from other people and we can know what we need to bring in and seek consultation on and look at. And we can know maybe what was projected on us or what really isn't mine that they gave me in that feedback. And so again, our personal boundaries are a great way to work on this relational competency, which is a commitment to self and to others. And then the last one under commitment to self is knowing and owning my yeses and nos. Sometimes I think, you know, I, I often, especially when I'm talking about like sexual consent, I will usually say that consent is not fine. Consent is not whatever. Consent really is this, like I will say, it's really, and it needs to be, especially when we're talking about sexual consent, but it needs to be this hell yeah and a high five. Like I am down for that. Yes, I want to do that. And I think that's great that we can own that yes and that we can say, yes, I am committed to that. But consent is broader than just sexual interactions, right? We have to give our consent to a lot of different areas in our life. And we need to be aware of what am I saying yes to? And what do I need to say no to? Sometimes when I'm working with clients, that yes 
is not a hell yes and a high five at all. It's a very quiet, maybe hopeful, somewhat bashful, somewhat unknowing, like, yes, maybe, could I, right? And if we aren't listening and we aren't hearing what our body is telling us, we may miss that very small, timid, yes, I want to do this. And so we also have to make space as we're knowing and owning our yeses and nos, we have to make space for those quiet or timid or barely audible yeses that come through that can push us in ways and help us with our goal to self-improvement and growth that can also help to inform our personal boundaries. And then also we need to know and own our nos. I think oftentimes when people say no, it's after they have felt spent. You know, they felt like they get pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And so then this no comes across and it is quite aggressive, right? And yet our no's don't have to be. If it's coming across, if we're, if we're exasperated by the time we're saying no, then we've missed several of our no's along the way. And so again, those are commitments that we have to make to ourselves that as part of my self-improvement, as part of my growth, I'm going to understand myself. I'm going to look at my past. I'm going to look at my present. I'm going to look even towards the future in terms of where do I want to go. I'm going to see the boundaries that will help me get to where I want to go and who I need to be. And in that process, I'm going to need to know what my yeses are and what my noes are. And then, you know, we leave a, a blank space because I think everybody who is working on and improving themselves probably has an area that's specific or unique to themselves where they can say, mm, one of the areas that I need to make a commitment to myself is by being more honest. Or one of the areas that I need to make a commitment to myself is to not laugh when I don't think something is funny. Sometimes we do that laughter because it feels awkward or uncomfortable instead of, you know, not laughing when it's expected, which is a way of saying, no, I don't agree with this. No, I'm not participating in this. So there's lots of ways that we can look at and say, you know, something that the first three are ways that, you know, we've identified that everybody kind of needs to work on these areas as they're working on and committing to their self. And then leaving an area where it's something that you know that's personal or unique to your process. Then when we're looking at commitment to others, some of the things that we're looking at, again, we've identified three things that we think are important when we're making commitment to others. One of those is rigorous honesty. Now, if you've worked a 12-step program, you know that that's one of the things the steps asks for is this rigorous honesty. And I've said before that rigorous honesty does not equal brutal honesty. We should not be brutal in our honesty. We have enough brutality. We don't need to do that in our relationships. Rigorous honesty also doesn't mean jabs and pokes at somebody. And then when they call us out, we say, hey, I was just, I was just being honest. I'm just telling you how it is, right? I think rigorous honesty requires some responsibility on our part. 
I think it requires us to be direct and to the point, but it also requires us to understand the impact and how that's going to land for the person that we're being honest with. And we're not just being honest for other people, we're being honest for the relationship, we're being honest for ourselves. And so again, I think rigorous honesty comes back to being able to have difficult conversations and having difficult conversations in the spirit of, I'm doing this because I have a commitment to you. I have a commitment to this relationship. And so I know I owe it to you to be honest. Another area under commitment to others is fidelity. Now, sometimes when I talk about this with clients, they may say, oh, I've only heard about infidelity. I never knew there was fidelity. But when we're talking about fidelity, some of the words that come up under fidelity, according to the dictionary, is a strict observance of promises or duties, loyalty, accuracy, adherence to fact or detail. So again, when we are looking at this commitment to others, you know, I'm going to remember what I say. I'm going to remember the commitments that I make or the promises that I make. And I'm going to make sure that I'm living up to that. Another part that we often don't talk about is loyalty. Do I have loyalty in this relationship? And if I don't, am I honest about that? You know, several years ago, I was going through the breakup um, of a friendship. And, you know, I, I know I'm not the only one who experienced this. I know a lot of people who have experienced the breakup of somewhat long-standing friendships in adult years. And it always catches people by surprise, caught me by surprise. I think there's usually, you know, some grief and some trauma that gets wrapped up in something all of a sudden ending. And maybe it wasn't something that you wanted to end or initiated ending. Sometimes it is, but the reasons you had to initiate ending were also painful. And, you know, prior to this friendship kind of uh, exploding and ending, one of the things that she had told me is that she thought that my, how did she say it? I'm, I'm not going to remember exactly word for word what she said, but basically, you know, my requirement for loyalty was just too much. Like that she thought that it was unreasonable for me to expect loyalty. Now, again, it's not like Godfather type stuff. I'm not like asking for her loyalty because I'm involved in some criminal enterprise. And it wasn't like I wasn't also offering loyalty, right? I, I just felt like that if people are going to be close in my life, if I'm going to consider you a friend, I need to feel that you have my back. And not that you can't come to me and say, hey, this isn't who I know you to be. Or I saw this happen and I think you're better than that. Like that was not your best self. Like I am okay with friends giving me feedback, even if it's hard to hear, you know, I want them to be rigorously honest with me in how they see me. But you know, if, if I'm not there, if I haven't done something, I want to be given the benefit of the doubt. I want somebody to, you know, be loyal to me and not talk bad about me behind my back. And, and I don't think that asking for fidelity or asking for loyalty or commitment in our relationships is above and beyond. I, I don't think that that's an unrealistic expectation. I think it actually is a healthy expectation. 
one that we are both giving and receiving. And then the third one that Amy and I identified in commitment to others is having respect, support, and an understanding of their own boundaries. So again, I'm going to respect this person. Hopefully I'm not in a relationship with somebody that I don't respect. Sometimes that happens and I think that's going to create some incongruence that at some point is going to play out in unhealthy, destructive ways. So I think it's important, whether that's our employer, whether that's our neighbor, whether that's our church leaders, whatever that looks like, I think we have to have a respect for this person that we're in a relationship with. I think as part of that relationship and the commitment we are making to others that we are in relationship with is to support them. Whether that's to support them in something they're doing, whether that's to support them emotionally and verbally or physically, right? I think we have to provide them with support. I'm just starting to realize you might hear my dog snoring in the background. So if you're hearing her snore, she's having a really good sleep. So respect, support, and then also we are going to be understanding that not just us gets personal boundaries, but also these other people who we are in relationships with also get to have their own personal boundaries. And that's something we have to navigate within the relationship through respect and through support. Now, I remember years ago when I was kind of a young mom and one of my neighbors was my daycare provider, helped her earn some extra money. Our kids were friends with each other. They were kind of the same age. And so it entertained her kids because, you know, twice a week, at that point, I was only working two days a week, but they were really long days. And so I would drop my kids off or, you know, they would come home from school and they would go to this neighbor's house and, you know, they kind of have a play date. And this had been going on, I don't know, maybe two years she had been my daycare provider. And then one day I came to pick up my kids and she said, hey, I need to talk with you about something. And I could tell that, I don't know, I had a sense that what she was telling me wasn't going to be easy for her to say. At, at that point, I didn't know if that was about me, if that was about her. I had no idea what she was going to tell me. But she ended up telling me that she actually wanted to pursue a career for herself. And that would make it so that she wasn't able to watch my kids two days a week. And I mean, I'm a working mom. I understand. I mean, first of all, I was kind of devastated because this was a pretty sweet gig that we had set up. My kids loved going to her house. They loved playing with her kids. You know, she often told me that my kids were well behaved or they made her laugh and that they entertained her kids. And so it seemed to be working out both ways, right? And so I was disappointed that once again, I was going to have to go through this process of finding another daycare provider for my kids, which if you've been in that situation, you know how consuming that process of finding somebody to watch your kids is, right? Because it can't just be anybody. You want to trust who you're leaving your kids with and what's going on while you're absent, all that kind of stuff. So she mentioned that to me. And of course, I felt like the, oh man, this was a really sweet gig and I don't want to let it go. But she was giving me a boundary. She was saying, I can't do this anymore. It's worked out really great and I can't do this anymore. And so, you know, I, I kind of said, oh, 
dang, I'm so disappointed. Like this has been such a great arrangement. I totally understand, totally understand you wanting to pursue a career. I want to be able to support that and respect your decision. And, you know, I thanked her. I told her how great she was to my kids, how much my kids loved spending time at her house, that her, you know, house just had a great feel. And I was so grateful that she was so welcoming to my kids to come stay there two days a week. And, you know, I was basically thanking her. And and then I asked, you know, like when, how, how much time do I have to find somebody else, right? And she kind of said to me like, wow, like I'm surprised you didn't push back. And that, which confused me. And I said, push back, like how? I mean, in my mind, you told me you can't do this anymore. Like I, I didn't understand pushing back, right? What, what was I supposed to push back against? If you say this isn't gonna work and you're going to uh, pursue employment outside the home, like how would I push back against that? Um, and so we had a really great conversation where she just said like, I, I don't know, I, maybe, maybe I just don't have a lot of experiences where I tell somebody something that maybe is hard for them to hear and they just say, okay. And I said, well, I mean, okay. Like <laughs> that's, that's something for you to look at in your relationships, right? I, I was working as a therapist, she knew that. And so I was like, okay, well that's something for you to look at if this is a new experience for you to like state a boundary and have somebody accept it and work with it and say, how do we navigate this? And to end on good terms. I think a lot of times Things blow up unnecessarily because we don't know how to navigate our boundaries in alignment with somebody else's boundaries. And so if we can't do that, things just tend to explode. And that's never a good thing. And it doesn't work out for relationships. And it is not a skill if things kind of blow up or we have unhappy endings or we burn bridges as we move out of relationship. And then again, in this worksheet, there's a space for, you know, whoever's doing this worksheet to look at and say, what is a commitment to others that is unique or personal to my, to my skill building that I want to include on this? And then when we make a commitment, we need to be sure that we're doing all that we can to make that happen that we're not just making commitments without having a real yes behind it, or that we're not offering a commitment when internally we're saying no. And so using the scale from, this comes from Dr. Karn's Recovery Zone book, we look at and say, let's rate yourself in each of the commitment categories above. Are you hoping, right? Which is the beginning of a desire to change. Hope isn't going to get us very far, right? But it's a beginning to a desire. Am I wishing? Wishing is one step beyond hoping. I'm having a moderate desire to change. Wanting is having a high desire to change. I really want to do this, not hoping. I'm not wishing. I'm wanting, which is then followed by weathering, which is a commitment to make it happen. I am going to make this happen. I'm gonna schedule that appointment. I'm going to meet with this person, right? Like that's that commitment where we start to take what we're hoping, wishing, or wanting, and we start to put some action behind that. 
And then I think for most of us, when we start to put some action to things, life has a way of pushing back and saying, how much did you want that? Right? And so that last number five, where we're rating ourselves in each of these areas is that I will go to any length. I'm going to use every possible advantage for success. Right? And so I'm not going to be flaky. Yes, I'm going to have other commitments that come up, but I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to have awareness. I'm going to be intentional and organized with my commitments so that I can go to any length to make these things happen. Now, some of the areas that we are asking readers of the book, once it's finally published, to look at is which area of personal commitment is most challenging and why is that? And then which area of commitment to others is most challenging and why, right? Because there's some information and some cues in that why and in that reflection that is helpful for us to be aware of so that we can have success in making commitments to ourselves or to others. William Holler said, you can do what you want to do, accomplish what you want to accomplish, attain any reasonable objective you may have in mind. Not all of a sudden, perhaps not in one swift and sweeping act of achievement, but you can do it gradually, day by day and play by play. If you want to do it, if you work to do it, over a sufficiently long period of time. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished. Until next time, Jackie. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy nor should it replace competent professional help. The Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.